We'll just read maybe three or four verses here. Romans chapter 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness... And going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them." And I'd really like to concentrate honestly. I I hope we can dig through these three or four verses. But I'd like to concentrate on verse number three, the word ignorant. You might think, well, that's, that's, that's not nice or that's silly just to concentrate on that one word. But that one word is so applicable throughout the New Testament and so applicable for today. So let's just think about this for a moment. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Read with me the first two or three verses in chapter number 9. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So as Greg mentioned this morning, who the letter to the Thessalonians was written to, when I read chapter number 10, verse number 1, brethren... Is there two different brethren in this book? There is. There is brethren that are saved, and there are brethren, verse number 10, chapter number 9, my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. You see that? Paul is praying, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for, I- for Israel is, why, preacher, all of Israel's saved. He's praying that they might be saved. So do you see the difference in the two? So Paul is praying that brethren in the flesh might be saved. He's praying, brethren, my prayer, you that are saved, my prayer to God is that our brethren in the flesh, the children of Israel in the flesh, that they might be saved. You know, you would think if there was anybody that would be saved, it would be Israel. It would be Paul's brethren according to the flesh. But you see what the problem is? He's praying that they might be saved. Paul says, I bear them record. They have a zeal of God. So there's a desire. That word means to burn. That word means to be heated, that word means to have an excitement or an enthusiasm. They have a zeal of God, but Paul says not according to knowledge. 
What, what is their knowledge? Well, I'll ask you this. What's missing? What's missing is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is exactly right, David. So they have a zeal for the letter of the law, for the ceremonial law. They have a desire and a zeal and a burning and a yearning and an enthusiasm for that. But they don't know the Christ, the Savior. Is this a rarity? No, I tell you what, this is the norm in the New Testament. This is the norm in 2023. The norm is to have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. And I'd like for you to think on this, that the man that is writing the letter to the Romans was guilty of this himself. Can we know much about religion and much about church and not know what it takes to be saved and to enter into the kingdom of God? I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. So if they know the letter of the law, they know the ceremony, they know that part, but not according to knowledge. What, what's really missing? it? They don't have the spiritual enlightening. They have not had an enlightening in the heart. Now Paul is praying, you, you think about the first verse, I'm begging God... <clears throat> I'm praying and begging God that my brethren, according to the flesh, that Israel might be saved. So they've got all of this knowledge. They've got more knowledge than anybody else on the face of the earth. When Jesus came, there was nobody else as a nation, as a group of religious people, even as, even as a nation of Judah or the nation of Israel, there was nobody that had the knowledge of God like they had. But you know, the Bible says, and you might say this, well, they know God. Well, they claim to know and they claim to worship the one and only true God. But the only way to worship the one and only true God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. So the devils believe in God, right? The Bible says that. The devils believe in God and tremble. Yet, here is man that is ignorant by the Word of God for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own. So they've not been enlightened. They have not seen the spiritual part of the law. So would you think with me that Paul says that concerning the law, he was blameless. Before his salvation, 
Paul was a man by the Word of God. That word means to be uh, uh, not able to bring a charge. He couldn't be charged with breaking the law. But yet, here is a man that doesn't know about real salvation. Could that be could that be in the church today? Could it be that we know about God, that we know about the letter of the law, that we know that we shouldn't murder, that we shouldn't uh, uh, commit adultery, that we shouldn't, uh, as Greg said, there shouldn't be fornication, there shouldn't be idolatry, there shouldn't be uh, all of these things according to the letter of the law. But what about in the heart? Jesus brought it, and you tell me if you don't believe this is true, that Jesus brought it from the outside to the inside. He changed it from not being accountable or not being able to be charged. Paul said in Philippians chapter number 3, He said that I was a Pharisee, circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning touching the righteousness, uh, I'm sorry, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, blameless, irreproachable. That was the word I was looking for. So no reproach. Paul goes on to say in 1 Timothy chapter number 1, Paul says this, he said, I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. That's 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse number 13. How could a man with so much knowledge, with so great an intellect, with so great a vision, with with such a mind, how could this man be a persecutor of the way of God? How could this man be one that was injurious, one that, that uh, according to the Word of God, one that, that held people into prison, one that caused them to blaspheme, one that caused them to be beaten? How could a man like that be ignorant of the righteousness of God. You know, I I think this, as I think on this, if this man could make a mistake, could we not make a mistake? What a man that he is. Now just think about him for a minute. Here's a man by the Word of God in Philippians, by the Word of God in Philippians, He is a man that was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, and concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Look at this man. According to the book of Acts, he was raised up at the feet of the greatest teacher in all of Israel. Here is a man that has the greatest teacher a man that's been raised in the church, 
if you want to call it that in that day, and it, and it was, in a sense, it was the church. Here was a man that was raised a Hebrew of Hebrews, knew the law, I mean, knew the law. But there's a difference in knowing the law in the letter and knowing it for the outward man and knowing the law in the heart and knowing it spiritually. So here he is desiring that Israel be saved and he said they were ignorant of God's righteousness. Paul was too. Paul was ignorant of the righteousness of God. You know what Paul's thinking? Paul is thinking, I'm living to the letter. And, and, and he's a Pharisee of the Pharisees. You talk about a man that's separate. A man that is a separatist from anything that is the least bit questionable. He's not going to have anything to do with it. You think about the, the, the Pharisees saying that Jesus went and went to Simon's house or went to uh, Levi's house, or went to Matthew's house, that he is a friend of publicans and sinners. That was an absolute no-no. You were not going to associate with anybody that was a Gentile, anybody that wasn't a Pharisee. You didn't associate with them. And you know what that did? All that put more stars in your crown. That gave you greater credentials. That, that, that exalted you. But know this, ladies and gentlemen, the Lord Jesus Christ went down to Matthew's house, went down to Levi's house, went down to where sinners and, and publicans were, and there He ate, and there He took part, and there, friend, was the fulfillment of the law through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I tell you, Paul has got the law on the outside, and the truth is, I don't believe that's a stretch, there was nobody that could put their finger on and point at him and say, you're guilty of this. That's right. That's right. But when God looked in his heart, you know what he saw? Yeah. He saw lust. That's what he said. That's what Paul said. He said, I had not known sin, except the Bible said, thou shalt not covet. I had not known lust, except the Bible said, Thou shalt not covet. So what was Paul desiring? What was Paul coveting? What was Paul yearning after? Well, there might be a lot of opinions on that, but I, I believe he was coveting, he was desiring, he was lusting after being the most exalted person that there was as a Pharisee. Maybe his desire was to be the high priest, Maybe that, I, I don't know the answer to that. That's speculative. But I say this, that there was lust in his heart and on the outside you couldn't see anything wrong with him. Here's a man that nobody can lay any blame to. You know, as we look today, I believe we could say that. I believe we could say that about individuals. And I don't want to go too far with that because I know we're not sinless. I know we're not. 
But as far as anybody seeing something in you that they could put their finger on and say, right there's where you're wrong. Right there's where you've done this wrong and that wrong. You know, it might be in your morality and in your faithfulness into the house of God. It might be that somebody, nobody could even point their finger. But that's not salvation. Paul looks at his lineage. Paul looks at his lineage and you, you know what he says? He said, I'm ignorant. I was ignorant. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I, I was injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. So what does this word ignorant mean? It means not to know. Not to understand. Is it possible to know about the law? Is it possible to know about church and not to know the Lord Jesus? Is it possible to know about how to live? How to do it outwardly and not know how to do it inwardly? Is it possible, ladies and gentlemen, that we could have all of the right things in order? I mean, if this man... What a man is he? He's the star. He is the star of Judaism. He says, I believe it's in Galatians maybe, he said, uh, and I profited than the Jews' religion above many my equal, equal in years, in my own, in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. You know something, friend? You want to excel in religion? Find out what everybody else is doing and just do it with a greater zeal, with a greater determination, with a greater enthusiasm. And it doesn't matter. Just as long as you're doing what tradition says, I tell you what you're going to do. You're going to rise to the top. But know this. Here is a man who has risen to the top in Judaism who is a lost man, who is a man who is ignorant of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, a man who does not know about genuine salvation, a man who is the star pupil of Gamal, a man who is a star of the Judaizers, a man who is a star in Phariseeism, a man who has everything. I mean, if you're going to trace back a man that's going to be in the priesthood, a man that's going to be in the Sanhedrin, you can trace this man back and you'll find no fault. True. But a man that's ignorant. Is there more to it than knowing the outward part? So let's, 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 let's look right here. I'm going to read just a little bit in Timothy who was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. So there, that word unbelief means this, without persuasion. You know, there's going to have to be a persuasion by the Holy Spirit of God for me to believe that I need a Savior. 
Can you see Paul and realize by what he writes here and what he writes in Philippians that Paul is a man that does not need a Savior? You think we're living in that world today? We're living in a world today, folks. Even here, even here, we're living in a world where people do not feel that they really need a Savior. I've really not done anything that would warrant me to need a Savior. Paul's that man. Paul is a man who does not need a Savior. Why does he not need a Savior? Because outwardly, he's doing everything right. Outwardly, he's the star pupil. Outwardly, he's grown up and he's got more knowledge, knows more languages, speaks in tongues more than anybody else. You talk about a man that is a star in religion. He's a star. But he doesn't know the Lord Jesus. You know that on the road to Damascus, Paul is going to hell. On the road to Damascus, Paul, or Saul, however you want to call him, his name was Saul in the Hebrew tongue. In the Greek, his name was Paul. On the road to Damascus, Paul is going to persecute. Paul is going to put in prison. Paul is headed that way. And Paul is on his way to hell that day. And yet, everybody in Judaism would say, here is a man that's going to heaven. Listen to this verse. A verse in the book of John. One of the most familiar verses in the Bible probably. But listen to what the Bible says. John chapter 3, verse number 3. Verily, he's saying to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 5, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Am I going to enter into my mother's womb? No. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Does there have to be, for anyone to go to heaven, does there have to be a spiritual birth? Yes, sir. There's no other way unless there's a spiritual birth. Now listen to what Jesus says to Nicodemus. There must be a spiritual birth. The wind bloweth whether it wills, whether it listeth, whether it desires, where it wishes. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it come or whither it go. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Now listen. Nicodemus answered and said, How can these things be? How can it be that I am the teacher in Israel? Verse, verse number 10. Jesus answered and said, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not? That's the same word that I'm using that the translators wrote down as ignorant in chapter number 10. Art thou a master of Israel and ignorant of these things? Here's Nicodemus, another man very similar to Paul, 
A man who knows that Jesus is a teacher come from God. A man who is. Now the word, listen to the words in chapter number 10. I mean, verse number 10. Art thou, and really if you read it in the original, art thou the master of Israel, and knowest not these things? How could it be that a Nicodemus, who is a master who is a master teacher, who is one who knows how to teach. And what is he teaching? I tell you what he's teaching. He's teaching just exactly what Paul and Gamal and the rest of the Judaizers, they were teaching an outward religion. They were teaching an outward conformity to the law. But I tell you, friend, if you're going to heaven, there's going to have to be something done on the inside of you that would give you a desire to conform to the law. There's going to have to be something done on the inside of you that would give you a want to and a will and a desire to conform to the Word of God rather than the pressure of the outside world, the pressure of what people are seeing, the peer pressure of those that are around you, and the desire and the longing to be recognized and to be, uh, uh, to be affirmed by the congregation. Listen, folks, you do not need my confirmation or affirmation. You need the affirmation and the confirmation from God Almighty, the Holy Ghost. Paul's confirmed by the Sanhedrin. Paul is confirmed by the Judaizers. Paul and Nicodemus are both confirmed as great, great men of God. But God says they're lost. Paul said, I did this ignorantly. I didn't know. I didn't understand. Though I was brought up at the feet of Gamal, though I have studied and though I know the law forward and backward, and though I am such a great... You talk about a student. What a student that he is. He's probably around 30 years old. Him and Jesus are probably really close to the same age. But I believe he's been a student his whole life. He was born in Tarsus, but raised in Jerusalem. His whole life was spent there. You remember how Samuel, when Samuel's mother weaned him, Where did he go? Can you imagine being raised in that your whole life? And you come down to 30, 32, 35 years of age and you're a lost man on the road to hell? That just doesn't seem possible, does it? But see, that's the way that man thinks in the natural Man thinks in the natural, you know, if I'm doing all of these things, I'm crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's, and I'm living according to the tradition of the fathers, and I'm living according to the tradition of the Pharisees, and I'm living according to the tradition of the church in that day, I've got to be going to heaven. But he was ignorant of the righteousness of God. You know, all of his all of his accolades, all of those things that he had going for him, they may very well... I'll say this. I'll just say this for me. 
I didn't have I didn't have any great accolades of, of family and this one and that one and the other one going to church. I didn't have the fact that I'd been in church since I was a little baby. I didn't have the fact that I knew all about the Word of God. I didn't have any of that. I feel what I had. I had the fact that I was a sinner. I was a blasphemer. I was ungodly. I was wretched. I was vile. I was a sinner on the road to hell. And I needed a Savior. A lot of folks have exactly the opposite. And it's a great hindrance to them needing a Savior. Paul didn't need a Savior. Nicodemus, somewhere, somewhere I believe Nicodemus became a believer. But Paul did not need a Savior. You might say, well, I, I, I don't know about that. Well, according to Philippians, Paul says this, Any man have confidence in the flesh? He had confidence in the flesh. Until the Damascus Road experience, Paul had confidence in the flesh. Why? Because of everything that's said here. Because it is a Hebrew of Hebrews. Because he's the tribe of Benjamin. Because he's a Pharisee. Because he, he he's not a Sadducee. He's not the middle of the road. He's not the run of the mill. He's not a he's not a C student. I tell you, he's an A plus man. Lost man. And I say for me. I don't know. I don't know how it would have been. But I know this. I was a sinner on the road to hell and I sinned. I sinned greatly. I sinned greatly. You talk about a great sinner. I was a great sinner. Per adventure. Per adventure if I'd been raised in church. Per adventure that I'd been there since I was six days old. Per adventure that would have happened, it could have been that I would have trusted in that, trusted in my church membership, trusted in my baptism, trusted in all that I knew and all of my raising and all of my family and all those things, and I could have died and went to hell. Ignorant. Paul's ignorant. Anybody got confidence in the flesh? I did. Anybody got zeal? Anybody got a burning desire for the church? He does. You talk about a man that is enthused. You talk about a man that's burning. You talk about a man that's heated. I tell you, when the Jew, when the Christians begin to emerge, I tell you, the heat begin to boil, boil up in him. I, anger and a hatred and a blasphemy and a persecutor. I tell you what he was. He was a madman. That's what the Bible says. You know what we'd say? He's an extremist. He's a fanatic. He was. He was exactly that. But you know what he thought? And according to the book of Acts, he said, I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought in myself. Listen, friend, until God Almighty comes by and convinces us, 
You know what we'll do? We'll go with our own thinking. We'll go as Greg was talking this morning. We'll go with whatever's relative. I tell you, friend, we're living in a world today that is headed to hell in a handbasket. I mean, at breakneck speed. You know what? Everybody's saved. Everybody's going to heaven. Everybody's going to be accepted. God's going to accept me the way I am. I'll tell you this, friend. God, a friend, is not going to leave you the way you are. God may accept you and repent us, and God may accept you with your sin. I'll tell you this, it'll be a place that God changes you. He's not going to leave you that way. He's going to make a new person out of you. Paul's a man who's got great, great knowledge. He's a man who's got a... a, a, a you talk about a, 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 a resume. Now, he's got one. There's not a fault in it anywhere. But when it comes before God, he's got zero. When he comes before Almighty God, he doesn't have anything. He's ignorant. I didn't understand. That's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you're the master of Israel. You're a teacher. You're the master teacher in Israel. And you don't know this. You're ignorant of this. Nicodemus, I've come to set up a kingdom that's spiritual. Nicodemus, I've come up to set a kingdom in the hearts of men and women. I've not come to set up a kingdom on the earth. I've come to set up a kingdom in the heart of men and women. I've come to change man from the inside out. Oh, that we could see that today. All of these things that Paul had... Honestly, I don't know how else to say it. <coughs> he was trusting in them. He was persuaded. He was convinced in his own mind now. In his own mind. I thought, that's what he says over in the book of Acts, I thought that I ought to do many things. I ought to do many things contrary to the name of the Lord Jesus. He says that, so I don't misquote it. He says this, And I I verily thought, this is in uh, the 26th chapter of the books of Acts, I verily thought with myself. Now who put this in Paul's mind? I tell you, it come from tradition. It come from the fathers. It come from his raising. It come from the natural man. I thought within myself that I ought to do. That I, that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus Christ. I was convinced. I was persuaded. I believed. I thought in myself, I tell you, friend, that a man that is the most gifted, the most knowledgeable, uh, the most intellectual man of that time, a friend that God used to write 13 books of the Bible, that man was on the road to hell and thought he was right with God. He was ignorant. He did not know. Preacher, I just don't see how he couldn't know. (laughs) Well, I tell you, it's the same way for me and you. Unless there's an enlightening through and by the work of the Holy Spirit. I believe this as well. Take heed how you hear. You know, I'm going to sit here and shut the preacher off. I'm going to sit here and pay no attention. I'm going to sit here and have uh, this is not applicable to me. Well, let me tell you, friend, you're never going to hear anything that's going to be helpful to you. 
But I tell you, God Almighty got Saul's attention that day. God struck him down on the road to Damascus. And he said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? What is he? He's ignorant. Who art thou, Lord? Is he ignorant? He's ignorant. On the road to hell, on the road doing this great work in the church, on the road doing this great persecuting, on the road hailing people to prison, causing them to blaspheme, having them beaten, and all this time he's rising higher and higher and higher in religious realm, higher and higher he's being exalted, and friend there on the road, Jesus says, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. You talk about an enlightening. That day, Saul of Tarsus has an enlightening. That day, he is no longer ignorant. That day, God opens his understanding. That day, friend, he is persuaded he's on the wrong road. All that he's doing, all that he's got on his resume is actually a great hindrance to him. He's trusting in it. So I'm going to go back to Romans chapter 10. Let's listen for just a verse or two. Listen to these. Brethren, so to the church, to the saved, to the born again, my heart's desire and prayer to beg, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is, there's my brethren in the flesh, that they might be saved. For I bear them record, they have a zeal of God. They've got an outward desire. They are their followers after God in the letter. They follow the ceremony, but in the heart. In the heart. You know what Isaiah said? He said, they follow me with their lips, but their heart is far from it. That may have been Ezekiel, one of those two. They draw near to me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. What's what's Saul doing? What's Israel doing? I tell you, there's a great knowledge. There's a great zeal for the ceremony, for showing up, for jumping through the hoops. But there's nothing in the heart. They've got a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. What kind of knowledge? A spiritual knowledge, a spiritual enlightening. You might disagree with that. Listen to what Paul writes to the book, uh, to the Ephesians in chapter number four. In the book of Ephesians, chapter number four, the Bible says this, verse 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth not walk as other Gentiles. What were other Gentiles? Lost people. I don't want you to walk as other Gentiles. You were Gentiles, but now you're saved. Now you're born again. As other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding. Now what did I say that ignorance is? No understanding. I don't know. Having their understanding darkened. So what's wrong with them? They're void of light. They're blind. Their understanding is darkened. Why? 
their understanding is darkened, being alienated. And let me ask you this. What is alienation? Separation? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So they're alienated from the life of God. Why are they alienated from the life of God? By this Word of God, this is what the Bible says, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance. There it is again. There it is again. Through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. So there is no enlightening. And the truth is, the heart is calloused. That word blindness there, the blindness of the heart, it means a hardening or a callousness. What's wrong with man's heart? I tell you, man's heart is callous to the Word of God. Man's heart is callous I to think that he needs to be saved. You know what? I tell you that there's no uh, a witness of the Spirit of God in your life. I tell you that I believe you need to be saved. You know what the first thing you do is? You harden up against that. Now listen, Greg, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a needle here in your arm and give you a shot. You know the first thing I want to do? That's what man does to God. Man says you're lost and on the road to hell. Man stiffens up. Man tenses up. Man hardens up. Man's heart is hardened unto God. And you know what he is? He's in the blindness. He's blind. He's alienated from the life of God. Why is that? Because his foolish heart is darkened. There has been no enlightening on the inside. What's in, what's in Romans chapter 10? They're going through. They're jumping through the hoops. Man, you talk about, you know, they're jumping over the high bar. They never hit the bar. They're going across the pole vault. They never hit the bar. They never nudge it. I tell you, they're doing a great job. But the problem is, on the inside is darkness and blindness and callousness. And they're ignorant of God. Blind. i tell you something, folks. If Paul could have prayed them in, he would have prayed them in. If Abraham could have prayed them in, he'd have prayed Ishmael in. If Isaac could have prayed them in, he'd have prayed Esau in. It never excuses me of my sin the providence and the sovereignty of God. You go on in your sin and you close your eyes to what God says and you harden your heart and God says you're lost and you need to be saved and you tense up like you're going to get your back popped or you're going to get a needle put in your arm. I tell you what you're doing. You're callousing yourself to the Word of God. And the truth is, one of the most knowledgeable men that probably ever has been on the face of this earth. One of the most learned men. One of the greatest men. One of the men that has risen to the top. One of the men that is the star in religion is a man that's on the road to hell and is ignorant. And it's still true today. I tell you, we can be in the church 
and not know the Savior. That's, that's what he says in Ephesians. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated. What are we? I tell you what we are. We're separated from God spiritually. Darkness, dead. Why? Because of the blindness. And you can read it. You can read it. You can go home and look it up in your concordance. That word uh, blindness, that word means hard, hardness, callous, senseless. You know something? You can take a pen, go down here in my hand, and I tell you, I believe you can go, I believe you can go down two, three, four, five layers, and I ain't gonna feel a thing right here. Right in here, I'm not gonna feel a thing. I am senseless to that pen being stuck in my finger, in my hand. That's the condition of people's hearts. People's hearts are senseless. There is no feeling there that man has hardened and hardened and hardened his heart. What's going on with Israel? Chapter number 10. Well, Israel, according to the Word of God, Israel is, has a great zeal. But they being ignorant of God's righteousness. Let me ask you, how are you going to get to heaven? You're going to get there on your own. Well, what is God's righteousness? Jesus Christ is God's righteousness. Me coming to a place of repentance and trust and persuasion to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the plan of God. That's God's revealed plan of righteousness. Am I going to come to that? They got a zeal of God but they are ignorant of God's righteousness. So does Paul, on the road to Damascus, does Paul have any persuasion, any faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? What does Paul really have in his heart toward the man, Jesus Christ? He'd like to snuff him out, as Larry said. Get rid of him, as David said. He'd like to do away with this name, wouldn't he? The only name under heaven given whereby a man must be saved. The only name given whereby a man could be saved. Uh, the only way is through and by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the finished work. But yet here is a man that is so knowledgeable, so great in wisdom, so uh, uh, high in intellect, so such a star pupil in Judaism, religion, Phariseeism. Here is a man that is ignorant of God's righteousness. You know, if you don't know Him in your heart, you don't know him. Look. Look at Romans 10.3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, no understanding, blinded, a blindness of the heart. We've already read that to you out of Ephesians. Alienated from, the, from God. Blind, dead, in darkness. They being ignorant of God's righteousness. Oh, that's not all. 
and going about to establish, to seek after, to stand against, to erect their own righteousness. What is Paul? I tell you, Paul, according to what he wrote in, uh, in the book of Philippians, Paul is a man who is righteous on his own. Maybe that's the way you feel today. Maybe you don't even entertain the thought of this little message today. I'm not even going to think about it, preacher. That happens Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. It does. That people never even never entertain the thought that this message could apply to them. But I tell you what Paul is doing. Paul is erecting a righteousness of his own. <coughs> Folks, all you have to do is look around today and you see that going on all around us. All around our world today is a group of people that are erecting, that are putting up their own righteousness. And you know what? They're expecting God to accept that. In fact, many of them are demanding that God accept them. That God take them and God bring them in because they have their own righteousness. I tell you this, Jesus is the standard. There is no other standard of righteousness but this one. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness... Now what about that? How long have you been in church? How long have you been in church? Do you know what God's righteousness is? Do you know that you will have to count everything that you've ever done as done? Do you know that you'll have to start at ground zero? Do you know as far as God's concerned, He wants you to wipe the slate clean and you don't bring anything to the table? The only way that God will accept you is a 100% trust in the finished work of Jesus. You start adding to it. You, 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 you got 90% Jesus and 10% you. You have tainted the righteousness of God. I tell you, this is not an adulterated righteousness. This is not a mixed righteousness. This is pure righteousness from God. God on the cross. God at the tomb. God raised from the dead. This is God's righteousness on display. And friend, there's no other way for you to be righteous before God but to be fully persuaded and to cast all of your cares on the Lord Jesus Christ as your salvation. No other way. I tell you what you are doing. You are in competition with the Lord Jesus. You are telling God, here I am, Lord. Look at me. Look at me, Lord. Look how righteous that I am. I don't need Him. I don't need the Lord Jesus. I'm righteous enough on my own. I tell you, that's what a group said to Moses one day. And God said, get back, Moses. And He opened up the earth and swallowed the whole crowd down into hell they went. You're going to put yourself on the same plane with your morality, with your outward religion, and with an inward wickedness that's just the same as everybody else. God won't accept that. They're going about to establish 
their own righteousness. And have not submitted themselves. Here's the problem, isn't it? Here's the problem. I'm not going to yield myself. I'm not going to bow. I mean, you know the truth is, I'm not that low. I'm not that dirty. I'm not that sinful. That's the way man thinks about himself. I'm not that low, not that dirty, not that sinful that I need someone to stand in for me. I can I can do a little something myself. Paul said, I counted it all as done. And I count it all. I counted and I count it all as done that I may win Christ. This is what the Bible says. Going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted. They've not yielded. They've not bowed down. They've not surrendered. You know what I'm going to do? When God comes by and speaks to my heart, I'm going to raise up my hand and say, Hey Lord, I don't need any of that. I'll pull myself up by my own bootstraps here. I don't need that righteousness that you've got. I tell you what, you'll die in your sins and go to hell without the righteousness that is supplied by God. If God supplied a righteousness... Do you think anything else will satisfy? You know what you're saying? You are saying that you, that you don't need what God supplied. When we don't come, when we don't repent, when we don't acknowledge, when we don't surrender, when we don't bow, we are saying to God, I don't need your son. I don't need your son. How arrogant to have all of this knowledge and be ignorant of your own condition. How arrogant. To say to God, I don't need your son. What a tragic, tragic mistake.